Let's uh, bow our heads in prayer. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the light that your Holy Word gives us uh, for our lives and our understanding of this world in which we live. We thank you for the gift of faith that enables us to understand your purposes and plans for us and our world. We confess that there are many things that we struggle to understand about life, pain and suffering. We're often challenged by family and friends and our neighbours regarding the problems that we see in our world. We ask that you help us as we study your word to find the answers so that we'll be able to give an answer for the hope of what you have in you. So we ask that you enable us to hear and to understand what you are saying to us in our study this morning. We come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Many years ago as a young Christian I was reading 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. I don't know if you're familiar with the passage but it says this. Paul to Timothy says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour. I took that instruction literally way back then and decided I would seek to do what that says and pray for the nations and the those in authority in the nations of the world. There are over 200 countries in the world. Some over that period of 40 years have changed their name. Uh, Others uh, have become states that used to be part of the USSR. Remember when we used to talk about the USSR? I still pray for Czechoslovakia. They tell me it doesn't exist anymore. (coughs) But I think God understands that uh, they need prayer as well. So what I did was I divided this list of nations into 30 groups. In fact, uh, I didn't do it. I couldn't figure out how to do that on the computer, but my daughter managed to do it for me and so boxed them off. So uh, for 30 days, each day, there's a group of nations that I can pray for, the leaders of those nations and for the leaders of the church in those nations. I admit that uh, sometimes I miss a day or two, three, (laughs) join the club but I do catch up later on. One of the ways to make sure we pray about everything, I think, is to use a prayer book. It's interesting that traditional churches often have a prayer book and the idea of the prayer book is that you don't miss anything out of the service that should be in there and it's not a bad idea. I spent a bit of time this week actually looking in the Book of Common Prayer and checking out the service there. The Book of Common Prayer actually has two prayers in their communion service You can choose one or the other to pray for the Queen and the governors and those in authority in our country. So they make sure they cover it that way. Those written prayers are really amazing if you can get past the old English and the precise language. looks like they're sort of allowed for every possible misunderstanding and they make sure they cover everything. So if you're getting bored in your quiet time and you want to do something different, get out some of those old prayer books and read those amazing prayers. Prayers there for almost every occasion. So those uh, people, those churches that do that cover pretty well everything. They have an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, a Gospel reading. They pray for everybody. It's quite an amazing thing to do. I think the Australian prayer book, I haven't got a copy of that, but the the revised Australian prayer book actually lists the Prime Minister, his government and the leaders of the opposition. We probably should add now the minor parties as well. There are many of those there as well. So do you pray regularly for the Queen? for our Prime Minister, his government, the opposition. 
Do you pray for those in authority in the many countries in the world and other areas in our own society? Are you obeying this instruction that Timothy gives to us? Maybe that's why we have the leaders we have today. The world's in a bit of a mess, isn't it? If you listen to the news, and I find more and more people now aren't watching the news, it's becoming quite discouraging, and it's often just uh, journalists telling you what they think rather than telling you the news, the facts. But uh, I think that nothing much has changed down through history as we look at countries and see what's happening in different parts of the world. There seems to be periods where we have some good leaders, but then they're followed by bad leaders. It's a bit like reading the Old Testament, isn't it? The good kings and the bad kings. You know, the children of Israel rebelled against God and he punished them and the, you know, the years will return. Well, we see a bit of that as well. So in these past 40 years or so that I've been praying for these countries, I've seen things like wars break out, famines, disasters, dictators come and go. I've often asked myself the question, why pray for them? They seem to go from bad to worse. One good result that I remember, because I can remember praying very hard for Ireland. Remember when there was all that violence in Ireland? Well, guess what? God answered that prayer. There's still underlying currents there, of course, but yeah, there have been answers, but most of the time it seems that countries seem to go from bad to worse, sometimes from one bad leader to another bad leader. I think God gives us, gives the nations and us the leaders that uh, we deserve. God judges the nations for their sin by giving them foolish, stupid leaders who make stupid laws and stupid decisions. I didn't get an amen there anywhere for that one. <laughs> but that's what we feel sometimes, don't we? More than that, he sometimes gives us evil kings and dictators as an expression of his anger and wrath for our rebellion and sin. We've seen in the past people like Robert Mugabe in Zimbabwe, Idi Amin in Uganda, Stalin in Russia, Adolf Hitler, Marxi Tung, China, Pol Pot, Cambodia, we can go on to see the number of evil leaders that we've had and the trouble they've brought on our world. In this present time, we see nations electing and re-electing foolish and stupid leaders, what some people might call warmongers, like the President of Turkey. You heard what that guy's had to say. The President in the Philippines the President of Cambodia, and dare I say someone in the USA. But I wouldn't say that. We get the leaders we deserve as punishment, the Bible says, for rejecting the wisdom and the word of God. These warmongers are established by God as agents of his wrath for our sin, and Paul tells us to pray for them and to submit to them. We read Romans chapter 13 lately. Did Paul understand what he was saying? If you were with us when we attended one of those movies recently, the story of the Apostle Paul, uh, he actually said what he said in Romans 13 about submitting to these evil rulers, one of whom in his day was Nero, one of the worst, and yet he prayed for them and submitted to them. An amazing example to us. He instructs us to do that today. It's still the same. We need to pray for our leaders, even though they may be sinful. When God judged Israel and for her rebellion, uh, he had them carted off, you might remember, to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. His faithful servants like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they were also caught up in that judgment. You and I also are caught up in the judgment that God brings upon nations and their leaders. We're also caught up in natural disasters as well as these things that happen as a result of war 
what the uh, military people called unintended, um, unintended. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, or th that sort of stuff. You know, the, we see it on our news, don't we? Uh, children, women, men, innocent people, old people caught up in Syria and other places like that. The Apostle Paul knew what we see. He suffered under Nero. Even Jesus, remember, lived under the Roman Empire, under a dictatorship, a powerful, cruel dictatorship, as was portrayed for us in Jesus of Nazareth, the movie. There are times when we as believers must refuse to obey authorities, but that's a subject for another day. Do you believe that God works out his eternal purposes through our prayers? It's a big question to think about. Do you feel a bit like Daniel and his three friends? Do you still submit to these agents of God's wrath? Are you obeying the Bible? The wrath of God is an interesting subject. There are different types of wrath. The wrath of God comes in different forms and in different ways. John MacArthur lists for us five types or if you like categories of God's wrath, God's judgment or expressions of his anger. Firstly, there is what we call eternal wrath because it is the punishment that God brings upon unbelieving sinners forever in hell. That's eternal wrath. Secondly, there's eschatological wrath. There's a big word for you. That's about the last things, the, uh, you know, the last days type wrath. That is the wrath that God, has, uh, God is released at the time uh, of the world and perhaps the best described for us as we find in the book of Revelation that wrath, the pouring out of God's wrath as we approach that last and final wrath. Then there is what we can call a cataclysmic wrath like tsunamis and volcanoes, hurricanes, earthquakes resulting in thousands of deaths. Cataclysms happen in the world and they are a reflection of the judgment of God because we've gone our own way. Have you seen those amazing pictures just recently on the television of this volcano erupting in Hawaii? Have you seen that? You're looking down the street and there's these flames and lava coming up out of the, the pavement and in people's backyards. It's an amazing thing. That's because we've turned our back on God. Number four, there's also what we could call consequential wrath. Consequential wrath is the sowing and reaping wrath. You live a certain kind of life and you set in motion certain forces that will produce judgment or wrath. Number five, there is one other kind of wrath. It is the wrath of abandonment. Abandonment. Got it. It is that wrath exhibited by God when he turns his back on a society or an individual person. The history of our world is filled with accounts of God's wrath on nations and people due to their sin and rebellion against him. The fall of nations like Babylon, Greece, the Roman Empire, the Third Reich, USSR, we can go on and on. These speak of God's judgment and his wrath, this wrath of abandonment. Some people look on, at the world and say, God has lost control. Not at all. What we are seeing is a result of God's abandoning the nations due to their sin and rebellion. Some people say that we're on the brink of judgment. No, we are right in the middle of that judgment, right now. Perhaps this is why we see so few genuine conversions and miracles in our day. We need to get a biblical worldview a Bible-based view of our world and what's happening. We are not on the edge of utopia or prosperity or revival, uh, which some people talk about and say can be brought about by positive thinking or 
man's ingenuity or scientific, scientific advancement and those kind of things? Do you believe in the eternal wrath of God? Hell. Do you believe in the coming eschatological wrath on the last day? Do you believe in the cataclysmic wrath of God? Do you believe in the consequential wrath of God? Do you believe in the abandonment wrath of God? Today I want us to focus on this last type of God's anger and judgment, what is meant by being abandoned by God. So let's look at some scriptures. Acts chapter 14 verse 16. Very short passage. In the past he let all the nations go their own way. Here we have the Apostle Paul reflecting on history, but not only of Israel, but of all nations really. God has let the nations go their own way, resulting in widespread evil, corruption on multiple levels. Does that sound like the prosperity gospel that we hear? Not at all. It sounds just like our world is today. What can we do about it? Well, Paul and Barnabas' response in that passage in Acts chapter 14 was to preach the gospel to the people in Lystra and Derby. This is what we must do as well. The only hope there is is found in the Lord Jesus. While the world seems to be going from bad to worse, there is hope in Christ. There's really only hope there. Their message is that God is offering an opportunity to escape this judgment of God and have sins forgiven. Why do we see such trouble in our world today? Why is there so much trouble in our families, work, school, other places? God has let mankind go his own way. Mankind has rejected the wisdom and the commands of God and they think they know better than what God does. Why do we see foolish, stupid leaders making foolish, stupid laws? It's because foolish, stupid people vote for them. Have you noticed that? It's because the judgment of God is upon them. He has let the nations go their own way. Go their own way to what? To judgment, to trouble, to disaster. We are reaping what we sow. And just as the saints in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we believers too share in that suffering and this judgment. God abandons sinners to their own choices and to the consequences of those choices. And just what, just what is this act on God's part? What is he doing? It is the removal to a greater or lesser degree of his restraining grace. That's what we're seeing. It is when God's, God lets go and turns the society over to its own sinful choices and so-called freedoms and the results of those so-called freedoms. However, if God was to completely remove his restraining grace, this world would very quickly self-destruct in a fireball of sinful violence. We see a picture of this in the book of Revelation. God, God's grace is still available to all who would submit to his rule in their lives. They do not presume upon God's race, sorry, God's grace. The time is coming when his grace will no longer be available before that judgment day. Repent now, get right with God because the day of wrath is coming. Perhaps the best known New Testament passage on this subject is Romans 1, the passage that we had read to us earlier. Romans 1 verses 18 to 22. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may, be, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them, 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile in their foolish hearts, sorry, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Is God revealing his wrath to us by giving us the leaders we have, the leaders we deserve? I think so. Are our leaders godless and wicked? Do they suppress the truth? Are they making foolish decisions? Are they claiming to be wise but rejecting God's truth? No wonder we have a $16 billion deficit. Let's look at Romans 1, 24 to 28. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, those words, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Do you think the Apostle Paul is trying to make a point here? He makes the point three times. Do you see it there in the bold print and underlined? It's a good sermon. It has three points. Same point. So three times we have this statement, God gave them over. God abandoned sinners to their own choices and consequences of those choices. That's what we see in our world today. When God removes the constraints that have been held, held us back from sinning, we get those consequences coming into our lives. He gave them over to what? To judgment, to suffering, to eventual destruction and death in hell. Proverbs 13:12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the ends thereof leads to death. What is this abandoning out of God? It's the removal of this restraining grace. It is when God lets go and turns a society over to its own sinful desires and to the results of those desires. What we see currently happening in our society is a result of God's abandoning our society. Here, in these verses, are the most graphic, the most comprehensive outline of what it means to be abandoned by God. They're clear and simple. It is the best passage I know to explain the moral chaos, the confusion that we experience in our own nation at this very time. God's wrath is already at work in our culture. We're not waiting for it. We are currently experiencing it. The words God that gave them over are actually legal words, legal expressions. It can be used in a, in a court, a court of law where a judgment is made on a criminal who is then sentenced and then handed over for punishment. That's what it means to be abandoned by God, to be given over. It is God legally and justly and officially giving them over to judgment. It is God letting them go to the uninterrupted cause and effect of their sinful choices. When this judgment falls, there is a depriving of restraining grace. Sin runs rampant throughout society. Sin is the reason 
and sin is the result. Sin is the cause and sin is the consequence. Does that sound like our society, our world today to you? The word of God is right up to date, isn't it? They not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice these things. Does that sound true? They know it's wrong. They know the consequences. They do it anyway. And they give hearty approval to those who do it. Remember Bill Clinton. I did not have sex with that woman. Remember that? Finally, the truth came out about his scandalous immorality and the misuse of his presidential power. His ratings went down. No, they actually went up. People gave hearty approval. Society gave hearty approval to that misconduct and sin. Does that happen in our world, in our country? Of course it does. This is what happens when God abandons a society. We read in Romans, we look at our society and see this is exactly what's happening today. The wrath of God is already operating in our culture. God has largely abandoned our society and let our society go the way it chooses to go without his restraint. God has abandoned our society because our society has first abandoned him and his word. There is no surer and no sadder evidence of a corrupt, wicked, abandoned society than when that society will not tolerate anger against sin. We see that all the time, don't we? Our society feeds on sin and wants no one to deny its iniquities. Restraining grace has been pulled back and our society gets more immoral and more deprived every day. Wrath comes and it comes again and again to societies throughout human history because they will not acknowledge God who has revealed himself to them. When there is rejection of God and his word, the light goes out, darkness comes. That is a very dark picture. It is their hope. You might be getting depressed by now, I would think. <coughs> it can be depressing. There is hope. What should our response be to this God abandoning the nation of Australia and other nations in our world? Well, we shouldn't retreat into our holy huddles and enjoy pity parties. We, shouldn't, uh, we should get on, rather, with the Great Commission. What did Paul and Silas do in Philippi? when they were unfairly and illegally beaten, imprisoned and put in stocks. Acts chapter 16 verses 23 to 25. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. After receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. You think you're having a bad day? At midnight, what did they do? How did they respond? Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. We get on with preaching the gospel and following the Lord Jesus. We come to church and sing praises. One of the great features about our church service is the wonderful singing we have. You can come here and be burdened down with life and operations and family difficulties and lack of money and name it and singing lifts our hearts. That's why we need to keep coming to church. Do you feel like singing and rejoicing every Sunday? Maybe yes, maybe no. Do it anyway. Because it will encourage you. Do you feel like coming to church when the world's all messed up? Come anyway. Because that's what Paul and Silas did. That's the secret. 
Matthew, sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You've heard that verse before today, haven't you? Yeah. Well, it's a great thing to what we need to do. We shouldn't get depressed or discouraged. Did you see the three let us's there? Yeah. Another good sermon there, isn't it? Let us, let us, let us. Let us do what? Well, we need to keep meeting together unswervingly in our hope, our faith and our confidence. We can trust God. He is faithful. Even as we experience suffering, the suffering that he allows on the nations because they've abandoned his word, we need to consider and encourage each other towards love and good works. We must not stop meeting together. That's the, not the answer. That's the opposite to what we need to do. Don't give up on going to church just because the world is sliding into evil. That's when we need each other all the more. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 39. Remember those early days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathised with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in a just a very short little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. If he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. You need to stand your ground in the face of suffering and difficulties. We all need to stand side by side and encourage each other, particularly those who are going through persecution. We need to sympathise with our fellow Christians who end up in jail for their faith. I think we're going to see more of that. We need to joyfully accept the loss of our possessions our jobs, our houses, our freedom, our land, whatever is ahead of us. We need to live by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We need to follow the example of those who have gone before us into heaven. We need to throw off everything that may hinder us following Jesus. We need to persevere in the race that God has planned out for us. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always the very end of the age. So as believers, we need to get on with preaching the gospel and making disciples. So even though God has abandoned the West, largely, and even though we may suffer, God's people have this special promise of Jesus being with us and never leaving us. Does this promise apply to you? 
Are you a follower of the Lord Jesus? Are you, will you trust him? Will you be able to cope with what God pours out on our rebellious world? Because you live by faith, not by sight. Is there hope for the future? Sure. Is there any hope for the Western world? For us, the only hope is that, that we hear God's word, we submit to Jesus as Lord and obey him. This is time for a bold and powerful, strong biblical ministry that calls people to hear the word of God and respond. This is the only hope for any people or nation or any individual in the world. We need to keep going into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching and making disciples. We need to remember that we are not of this world, but we are part of the coming kingdom of God. We need to keep praying for those in authority, for those who are kings and for presidents. We need to keep working and seeking for God-inspired revival. But we need to focus on heaven, heaven to come. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Now, Father, your word comes to us with such clarity and power. We thank you for teaching us why our world is like it is. We thank you for your grace and truth. Help us, Lord, we pray, to be doers of your word and that we might preach the gospel that saves. Enable us, we pray, to keep preaching your word, to share it, to speak about it. May your people proclaim nothing but your word so that those under your wrath may hear, repent, be saved and escape that final eternal wrath. May there be a great revival of your word and may people listen to it and obey it. For your glory we ask these things. Enable us to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus and persevere to the end, singing with joy in our hearts because he is always with us. We pray in his name. Amen.